Hey there, welcome to The Fizzle Show. I'm Corbett Barr, and this is our podcast about earning a living independently doing something you love. Today, I'm joined by Matt and Danielle from Exploring Alternatives. The Exploring Alternatives YouTube channel is all about living large with less. They feature weekly videos about living life to the fullest through exploring alternative spaces and lifestyles. Since starting the channel in 2014, Danielle and Matt have grown it to 1.5 million subscribers and over 200 million views. Matt and Danielle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. I'm really excited today because the first time I became aware of your channel was when you interviewed a Fizzle team member, Jen, and you guys went and took a look at the place that she lives, which is a box truck, actually was a box truck. They've moved since then out in Vancouver, BC. I found out about exploring alternatives through that. And since then, I've dove into your channel, which is really, really well done. So thank you so much for being here. If you can, just tell us a little bit about the channel and what people might find there. Sure. Yeah. Like you said, we've been running the channel for the past six years and uh, we tend to do a lot of exploring of different alternative lifestyles. So we look into people who are living zero waste, people who are doing long-term travel, people who are trying to work online um, and be location independent. And then we also do a lot of alternative homes. Uh, so tiny houses, people who are building earth ships, people who live in vans, which we do half the year. Wait, hold on. What is an earth ship? <laughs> <laughs> it's just as cool as it sounds. Um, an earth ship is a concept that was designed by a man named Michael Reynolds in the US. And basically it's a home that is meant to be fully self sufficient. So it produces its own energy, it treats its own waste, uh, it grows the food for the occupants in it, it generates its own electricity. Did I say that already? Okay, I was picturing Noah's Ark at first when he said that. They look pretty cool. <laughs> they look, some of them look pretty amazing and they're built out of like the ideas that they're built out of mostly uh, recycled or garbage basically. Mm -hmm. So the, they use tires for the, the back wall. I love this. So, so I'm sensing that forever, basically, uh, we have all assumed that we each live in a house that is an ever-growing number of square footage, right? We've all gotten mm -hmm. into bigger and bigger homes that is just in a, on a fixed lot in a neighborhood, and that's how everyone is supposed to live. But you all are exploring alternatives to that, hence the name of the channel. But in a lot of cases, those are uh, smaller places, or more mobile places, or just totally rethinking the way that we're supposed to live. Did you come about this just out of your own interest, or is this something that you explored? This is a leading question, by the way. Something that you explored yourselves? Um, I think we started off, we were living in our own house that was quite a bit larger than the apartment we had been in before, and we were struggling. We were finding it really hard to um, you know, work full-time and manage this house and commute back and forth. And so we've been watching these other YouTube channels. One of the original uh, sort of alternative lifestyle channels out there is this woman named Kirsten Dirksen, who's been doing alternative videos for a long time. And, and so we started seeing people who were trying different lifestyles and we decided to go for it. We sold our house after living in it for only a year and a half. And uh, we started traveling for a little while with that. We discovered house sitting as a more affordable way mm. to travel and sort of uh, stretch out the amount of time that we could be on the move and exploring new places. Mm -hmm. yep. And then um, after a while that sort of changed, we decided, you know, we didn't want to be always sleeping in a different bed every week or two. 
So we heard about the van life movement, which was another alternative to living in an apartment or in a house. Uh, so we bought a little van, put a bed in the back and started traveling in that. And then that's when the YouTube channel started. So um, I guess we started exploring a couple of alternatives ourselves. And then we became sort of obsessed with finding out what other people were doing as well. And it's not necessarily that these things are lifestyles that everybody should be doing or wants to do, but we just mm -hmm. find it really interesting to see what people are doing and why. Mm -hmm. And like you said, a lot of the reasons are people are trying to go smaller. They want to reduce their environmental footprint. Uh, they want to find more affordable housing, especially in this economy that we're in right now. So it's been really interesting to see all these really interesting uh, projects and people. Yeah, it's, yeah, we, it's we been so fun. We basically realized that we couldn't try all of those things ourselves. So that's how we started interviewing other people, mm -hmm. uh, and in including more more of other people's stories and experiences on our on our YouTube channel. I love that, uh, and that was something that was that was refreshing and interesting to me about your channel is that especially like from the first video with Jen that I mentioned that I watched, you don't feature at all in those videos. Is that right? I, I don't believe I saw either uh, of you. Yeah, in that, that one video. we weren't in it. It's kind of, uh, it varies quite a bit. Sometimes we do like short introductions uh, for, for some of the stories and videos. And sometimes we just kind of give the, the space to, to the story and we're not in it at all. Yeah, that's that's kind of random. Sometimes we feel like it needs us in there, and sometimes we we just feel like, you know, yeah. the video's okay on its own with just the the people that we're featuring. And 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 I think it just says something about your creative eye for those things because so so many people feel like they if they start a channel or a podcast or whatever that they have to be front and center all the time, and yet you're you two are letting the subjects speak for themselves, which is quite interesting. And of course, it makes for such great video when you're going to see all of these super interesting tiny homes and alternative ways of living because it, you are interviewing someone and learning about what led them to this lifestyle, the things that they think about, the way that they're living their lives, and then you're showing how their lifestyle exists in this tiny home. And it just puts together a couple of really interesting constructs at the same time. So it makes for a really compelling video. And I, I'm not surprised at all that you've grown the channel to the degree that you have. Of course, when you started it, I can't imagine that you thought that you would have a million and a half subscribers uh, or that you would have some videos that have seen millions and millions of views. So take us back to you were living in a van at this point, I believe you said, when you started the YouTube channel. What, when did you first think about starting the channel and what was going through your mind at that time? It's kind of a funny story. So Matt is actually a really creative person. He's an artist, he's a musician, and he just basically picks up anything creative and he becomes really good at it. He's very disciplined and I've always admired that and I never had anything like that in my life. And I had always sort of said, one day I'd like to be a writer. And so after seeing Matt, you know, do all these creative things, I decided to start a blog. And right away, Matt was like, I'll help you. I'll do the photos. I'll do the logo. I'll do this. And I was like, leave me alone. This is my project. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I started the blog. I let him do the logo. And then um, he started talking about doing videos. He was like, maybe you could write the blog post and I'll, you know, make little videos and stuff because he really wanted to get into using cameras. And then it didn't take long, maybe a month, and it became a complete partnership. And at the beginning, it was really sort of meant to be half blog, 
have YouTube channel. And then YouTube just, we got lucky. I think the timing was right. There wasn't a whole lot of information on the lifestyles and the houses that we were exploring at that time. And so there was a huge amount of interest in it. And then video production and filming takes a lot more time than writing a blog post. And so that took over and we just went with what was working. If you go to our website, you'll see we haven't updated it in three years. The website hasn't been (laughs) updated in a really long time. I think we also realized that we enjoyed the video format. I loved telling a story with music and and dialogue and sound is really like rewarding. Yeah, and for someone who is creative in different ways, that it makes sense because you can put all that together, you know, mm-hmm. from from the video to the interview and everything. It's amazing. Um, I'm I'm curious, did your first video take off or did you have to go through a bit of a slog to get some attention? Do you remember? Our first video was terrible. <laughs> and I think the second one was probably the first 10 videos were terrible, but we were learning, you know, we were, we didn't know how to use a camera or how to, you know, get proper sound and plan a, a proper video. So yeah, we, we were learning and they didn't do that well, but they did better than we thought they would do. Because there was sort of a Because there was of- an interest and it was a lack of that kind of content on YouTube. So it did make us think maybe we should do more. And- I think you see that on a lot of channels too, though. If you look back at any channel that's been around for a few years, you see that progression and that's what I think is really interesting. Sometimes we have this debate, you know, should we hide those videos and make them private? And I always advocate that we should leave them up because it shows sort of the progression, you know, and how we've learned, but not everybody wants to see those old old <laughs> videos. That's, yeah. that's um, one of my favorite Saturday afternoon activities <laughs> is to pick on one of my favorite YouTubers and to go back and see how they got started. And it's fun when somebody leaves it up, especially for people that have built something that is so popular. I can understand if you build a channel and it doesn't go anywhere, eventually maybe you're embarrassed about those old videos. But I think for, for someone like you, it's just such a testament to the interest that's out there in these alternative lifestyles and that regardless of how you covered it initially there were people that were trying to find things like mm-hmm. you know they they had heard a little bit about tiny houses i remember forever i was a subscriber to dwell magazine which was one of the only publications that was talking about alternative homes although in most cases they were talking about gargantuan architect designed alternative homes but they were getting into prefab and things like that at the time which was interesting but when tiny homes came about there just was so little about it and then you layer on top of that the desire for minimalism which i think you know drives this a little bit as well do you too remember someone this is just coming to mind someone named Tammy Strobel who that name was, rings a bell she was I... living in a tiny home long before I knew anyone else doing it. I think it was in Oregon. And it was such a foreign concept to think that you only need like 200 square feet to live in. And how does that work exactly? But as you show in all of your videos, it actually works just fine. So I'm curious, are you still filming and editing and doing the audio and writing the scripts and everything to this day? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, everything ourselves, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, Matt does all the music, he does all the filming, and then we sort of share the editing. I do a little bit of the rough cut at the beginning, and then Matt does all the important stuff at the end. Um, we did experiment a little bit with growing our team a year or two ago, and mm-hmm. we just found that was a lot to manage with us being on the road and 
it can be difficult to upload large amounts of footage. Um, so yeah, we had tried hiring an editor. We had tried, you know, hiring some freelance uh, videographers, did a few projects with different people and realized that we really prefer to keep our, our team, just Matt and I. Mm -hmm. um, uh, sometimes uh, we do collaborations. There, there is an exception to, to that. We do collaborations with people that are outside of, well, maybe in another country somewhere we know we're not gonna go and film. Uh, and sometimes they'll film themselves and then we'll do the editing and the music for it. I uh, see. So in, in those cases, we're not the ones doing the filming. That yeah. happens a lot with sailors because mm -hmm. um, they're often just moving around and we're moving around and we never meet up. And right. then just knowing that that was possible actually helped us a lot when the pandemic happened. We realized, you know, it was right at the beginning of when we would normally hit the road and start filming for the year. Um, and we were really lucky that uh, we were able to collaborate with a lot of different, uh, mainly YouTubers, who were able to film their story and have us edit it. So we were able to sort of promote their channel and then also keep ours going. So that was really great. Mm -hmm. But yeah, most, up, but sorry, most of the no. time we're doing all the all the filming also. ConvertKid's free plan helps entrepreneurs like you turn your side hustle into a full-time career by growing your audience, promoting your business, and building a meaningful relationship with your audience in a fraction of the time it used to take. You can showcase your products and upcoming projects by building custom landing pages in minutes, saving time to help you focus on taking your business to the next level. ConvertKit's email designer helps you build beautiful, simple emails that help build your brainchild into a brand. Creating personalized emails about your business and products create brand advocates so you can take from your underground startup to a force that can't be stopped. Creating personalized emails about your business and products create brand advocates that can take you from an underground startup to a force that can't be stopped. ConvertKit helps entrepreneurs earn a living by evolving their side hustle with tools to help sell products and grow their business. Head over to convertkit.com slash fizzleshow to sign up for a free account and find your audience faster. That's convertkit.com slash fizzleshow. Taking care of employees has never been more important. For years, Gusto's been helping more than 100,000 small business owners run payroll, offer benefits, onboard new employees, and more. They call it the People Platform. And it doesn't just look nice, it works. Your payroll taxes are filed, deductions are calculated, and your team gets paid. You can even offer health insurance and 401ks. Get three months free after your first payroll when you go to gusto.com slash fizzle. That's gusto.com slash fizzle. You bring up something interesting and and that is, uh, and you know, it, it's, it's a shame that all of the content from this year, when we go back, we're going to see people wearing masks. We're going to hear people talking about the pandemic. It's going to be very apparent when you go back into people's archives. How has your lifestyle, your travel, and your videos, how have they been impacted this year by the pandemic? Well, we usually start filming. We usually film during the uh, summer, like spring, summer, and fall months. And then in the winter, we usually uh, house sit or rent a, a, a space to live. And then we do all our editing. We catch up on all the admin stuff. Uh, but this year, because of 
COVID, we had to, we didn't start filming until, you know, pretty late into the summer. So uh, it really, we had to work pretty hard this fall to film more videos than we usually do. And uh, yeah, it was just, we lost a lot of time, I guess, with COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, because yeah, we live in Canada. So as soon as the winter weather comes around, there's no filming. It, you know, well, it's a lot harder to film. It's it's so much harder for us to like. We're not going to live in our van in a Canadian winter. Uh, it's too extreme. So uh, we're pretty limited in terms of time where we can film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say there was definitely a hustle. As soon as it hit, we literally only had a couple of videos left in our library because it was March. Um, and so we were really lucky, first of all, that we had family that we could go and stay with. Um, because we weren't with our band, long story. Um, so that was really great. And like I said, really lucky that we were able to, to pivot so quickly and just, we hustled for a few weeks, started chatting with people, you know, that we've been following online for a long time and set up all of these sort of long distance collaborations and we were able to keep uh, the channel going, but it was pretty scary. And I know even with a lot of the people that we feature who are nomadic or who are always on the move, it was sort of like this really, big shift in the way you think because originally we all sort of thought you know we're so independent we just do whatever we want we can go wherever we want we're location independent and then that really made us realize oh we have no home base to go to if hmm. you know if all the campgrounds are closed all of you know the flights are down everything is shut and so then you really had to hustle and we saw a lot of van lifers and and nomads and long-term travelers sort of just getting back and, <laughs> and living with their parents and stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so it was sort of a wake-up call realizing that we're not as independent as we think we are, and we do really rely on society functioning to be able to live these alternative lifestyles. It's, it, it's interesting as well because it seems as though because of the pandemic, a lot of people are now working at home or they're able to work remotely. So there is this cross-pollination of people who formerly were fixed in their location, going to the office every day, now having more freedom, and in some cases maybe taking these long weekends or, or whatever that feels a lot more uh, like remote work to them. And then you have the digital nomads and others who had complete freedom coming back to the center a little bit and having to be a little bit more fixed. So we're both experiencing alternative lifestyles <laughs> in terms of what we're used to, I guess. For sure, yeah, and I feel like the internet has sort of enabled a lot of the flexibility so that so many people have been able to maintain their jobs. Um, I think, yeah, without the internet, I don't know what we would all be doing. Well, not all of us. I know there's still a lot of people who do have to go to, to you know, real life in-person jobs and can't just be on the computer, um, yeah. but it did help a significant percentage of people, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Has this made you reconsider anything about how you will live your lives when things get back to normal, whatever normal is? Well, I mean, that's a good question. We're always reconsidering our lives. We, uh, like when we started this, we sold our house and we're, we thought like, okay, we're going to live in, in our van for X amount of time all year round. And, uh, and, and you try that and it doesn't, we've done that for a while and we, realize like maybe we need a bit more space because we work from home, which is the van and mm -hmm. live in the, in that same space also. Uh, 
yeah, we're always reconsidering what we're going to do, especially because we go visit so many people who are trying some really interesting things. We want to, like, we feel like we want to try all those things too. So we still haven't decided. It's, it's, uh, maybe we've seen too many, too many cool alternatives. I don't know if we'll ever be able to decide. <laughs> it's kind of open-ended. Yeah. So like you said, we've sort of spent time in vans. We spent time doing long-term travel, house sitting, um, spending more time with family. And now we actually just bought a condo right before COVID happened. Um, and it's a small condo and we, it's, it's because we micro condo and we've been craving having a home base. And so it's kind of funny when we talk to the people we meet who live in a tiny house or who live in an earth strip and they're like, what are you doing after seeing all these alternatives? And for us, we really wanted to live in a small space. We wanted to minimize our environmental footprint, but mm -hmm. we also needed the flexibility because we're going to be gone half the year for work. We needed something that was easy to just, you know, lock up and leave um, unattended. And when we looked at, you know, living in a yurt, that wasn't necessarily something that we could just <laughs> leave, you know, yeah. um, that needs to be lived in or else, you know, the animals are going to move in. And right. we looked at tiny houses, but, you know, maybe the pipes would freeze or maybe, you know, all these different things. And so that for us right now is actually what we think will be a good fit. We've actually only seen it twice because we bought it with a tenant in it for the next year. So it's sort of just like this really weird time where we're still mm -hmm. thinking of different ways of living. Um, but yeah, for us, we really want to live in a small space. Um, yeah, we've and been thinking, yeah, yeah, we've been, I mean, doing, doing this for, for all these years, we realized also that there's no perfect alternative, you know, like depending on what your criterias are, uh, there's, there's no perfect alternative. So you could have, for example, uh, a tiny house and perhaps you use less materials to build it. Uh, it has a, it's a smaller uh, home, so it uses less energy to heat and, and cool. Uh, but maybe because it's not allowed in uh, a city, you're going to be a little bit outside a city, so you're going to need a car. Right. And then just having a car driving back and forth to work, yeah. to your groceries, it, it, uh, you know, it makes your environmental impact a little bit higher than if you lived in a tiny apartment in the city with no car. Mm -hmm. And you can but, analyze all the options like this, and none of them are perfect. Right. But there are options that are good for individuals at that time in their life. That's mm -hmm. what we've realized. When mm -hmm. we started exploring, that's why we called it exploring alternatives. We didn't um, think, we didn't want to sort of say, you know, this is the way everyone should be living. We're just sort of interested in seeing what's out there. And what we've noticed is not everyone does what they started. You know, we've met people who built an earthship um, and maybe they're not going to live in it for their whole life or who, you know, bought a tiny house and it's just for while their kids are young and then they plan to move into a different home. And so we've tried to maintain that flexibility with ourselves. So um, yeah, we're always exploring. And uh, I'm sensing as well that maybe it isn't about the perfect end point or, or the perfect conclusion, but a lot of what you are doing and, and the people that you're interviewing, a lot of the drive is just the adventure of trying something new and doing something that is sort of outside the bounds of what everyone accepts as being normal or the way that we have to live mm -hmm. and um, and doing things that that other people haven't done before. It's it's exhilarating. Do you find that people that you interview seem to be happier or do they seem to have 
a greater sense of purpose or what are the alter or the, the advantages to whether you find the perfect place or not, but at least trying something to see if it works for you or not? That's an interesting question. I do feel like in general, people do seem to be happier and they're really excited when they're trying something new. They love, you know, learning how to build things if they build their own tiny house or they love certain aspects of their life, but it's also really challenging. And that's one of the interesting things about what's going on right now. Um, what we've noticed is, you know, tiny houses are really cute. Van life seems really adventurous and stuff like that. But at, underneath all of that, sort of adventure and the pretty photos and everything, there's actually sort of this really important thing happening, which is that housing is becoming unaffordable for so many. Mm. And uh, and so people are seeking out these different alternatives, not just because um, it's fun or because it's pretty, but because this may be their only option or their best option. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, all of this wouldn't exist if housing wasn't uh, uh, incredibly expensive, right? Yeah. That's that's why this whole movement is was born. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the people, yeah. So the people that we meet, I find they're really resilient in the sense that you know they're addressing a really kind of unpleasant problem and turning it into a positive. You know, mm -hmm. oh, I can't afford a house. I'm going to build something really cool and I'm going to make this fun instead of just feeling bad about it. And then the other thing that's happening is because these people are so resilient and so creative with the different alternatives they're finding, it's raising a lot of awareness about what's going on. And so we're actually seeing different communities starting to legalize smaller dwellings and starting mm -hmm. to look at, at things like the housing crisis, because it's, it's sort of at a really critical point right now where, um, yeah, we're going to see more and more people without options. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's not getting any better. Prices are still just going up for mm -hmm. rent and, uh, buying a house or yeah. an apartment. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's 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 insane. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know about Canadian cities, but the West Coast of the U.S. has a terrible homeless problem and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. The city of Portland uh, has been friendly, I think, to tiny homes and alternatives, even for alternative businesses. We have a lot of food carts and things, ways for people to get started without being as expensive as as, you know, traditional uh, means. But I wonder, do you feel like in your genre or your niche, the van life movement and, and tiny homes and so on, do people gloss over sometimes the, the fact that in a lot of cases, this is because of necessity? Uh, do they make the van life look more glamorous than it is at sometimes? I know there's a tendency to do that on Instagram and other places anyway. Uh, I'm sure it's not glamorous to show one of the two of you like fixing your van on the side of the road for the fifth time, uh, things like that. And, you know, obviously, uh, having a tiny bathroom and, you know, all that sort of stuff is there are compromises for sure. Because Instagram a lot of times is look at me, look how amazing my life is. Do you feel like that gets pushed onto some of the alternative living styles as well? It definitely does. And I do think there are pros and cons to that. So in, in one way, for example, you were talking about homelessness, we have gotten messages from people who um, became homeless or were facing homelessness. And they said, you know, I was feeling really depressed about this and kind of embarrassed. And then I found this whole community of people who are living in their vehicles. And I have so many ideas of how I'm going to make this comfortable and make this work. And I know that I'm not alone. I have this community of people. So that's been yeah. really interesting. Um, but then on the other side, there is this um, this whole movement of making 
everything seem very sexy and very, you know, glamorous when actually, I mean, you're living in a vehicle. It's small, it's cramped, it can be really hot or cold. It's very, very difficult. Like most, yeah. it's most people would not find it pleasant or they, most people wouldn't like it. Mm -hmm. For long terms. I for mean, it's, long term, yeah. It's fun. It's sort of, for some people, it's an alternative to, you know, the trip after you finish school you know you go on this big road trip that I think people have fun doing but if you're living full-time or working full-time in in a van it can be really difficult and again that's why we don't live in our van full-time we love it when we're in it and mm -hmm. then we're also very happy when we get to one spot where we can you know uh have water or flush the toilet or <laughs> you know things like that Little not things. worry about where we're going to sleep that night so. yeah when my when my wife and I come back every year from Mexico we spend three or four months down there we are always so happy to have potable water. It's just the little things mm -hmm. sometimes yes, yeah. that, that make the difference. So I, I would love to um, find out more about your channel and the business that you've grown around it. I'm sensing that there is an enormous amount of consistency and discipline in what you do. You have a YouTube channel with 300 videos. I know that you publish essentially weekly, is that true? Pretty much, yeah. Sometimes we skip a week here and there because we just don't have time to make a video, but almost every weekend. Almost every week. And, and you know, that the numbers speak for themselves. You've been doing this for six odd years and you have 300 videos. It's pretty much every week, which is incredible. Very few people have that much consistency, whether it be podcasting or blogging or, or creating videos. And videos take an enormous amount of effort. Uh, for an eight minute video, how many hours do you feel like goes into each one? It's probably uh, about a 40 hour work week for two of us. If you count all the planning that goes into, you know, researching the story, driving to go meet them. I mean, Canada, just like the U.S., is a huge country. Yeah, so going to find these people, then we usually spend one or two days with them filming um, their house or their lifestyle. And then we'll probably spend three or more days editing, making the music and posting it, promoting it. So each video is about a week. And then there's also all the research that comes, that comes first, uh, which is quite a bit of work too. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it has been, it's been a lot of work, um, but I think some of the best advice that we, I think I read it in a blog post um, when we first started was, you know, when you're starting a new online project, start as though you're already a success. And so we started, we were like, you know, we didn't have anything started yet, but we knew we need a logo, we need a domain name, we need to have all our social media in a line um, and ready to go. Um, even if we hadn't, you know, started posting on Instagram yet, we knew that eventually we might want that. So we set all of that groundwork up and then we decided not right away but pretty soon into when we started becoming full-time youtubers um, we decided you know we're going to start posting every week and we've done our best to stick to that some weeks it's just not possible some videos take longer to work on and then sometimes we don't have the video um, but in general yeah we've we've done our best to be really consistent and really disciplined um, and it seems to have been paid seems to have paid off. I mean, we also got really lucky with the timing of when we started our channel. Um, we also did a really important first collaboration that um, helped us a lot with Kirsten Dirksen, who's the the YouTube channel who was sort of like the original alternative mm. lifestyle channel. Yep. Um, we did a long distance collaboration with her um, that really gave our channel a boost. Mm -hmm. And probably like we didn't intentionally start our channel to be similar to hers, but we ended up sort of doing something similar and exploring alternative living, but in Canada. 
Mm -hmm. um, which has been really fun for us to sort of explore our country from end to end. So that's been really fun too. You mentioned uh, being full-time YouTubers. When when did you go full-time and, and how did that evolve? How did the business side of what you do evolve from the beginning? Mm. Um, when we first started, well, actually, I can give you a little bit of backstory. So after our first year of traveling, um, where we were kind of living off of savings from the sale of our house, uh, we realized, you know, we want to keep traveling, we want to keep doing this, but we need to find online work so that we're, we can maintain this location independence. And I just happened to uh, have a friend who had an online store called Vegan Cuts. Uh, we had known each other for a long time and she needed help. And so she hired me and right away um, I was able to work full time. It was basically like a four or five day week job where I worked nine to five online, but we could be anywhere we wanted. So that really helped us get started. Um, Matt started doing online contracts for them as well, um, doing some video editing. And then we started our YouTube channel after I realized, um, you know, that we could maybe do it. And so we started doing the videos and I was working full time at the same time Matt was doing contracts. So it was kind of like a hectic first six months and we're doing the blog. It was like, yeah, we're doing everything at the same time, you know, but it was so work. exciting, right? In the beginning, sometimes you can kind of run Overdo on those, <laughs> yeah, almost yeah. run on fumes because it's just the, the newness of it all. Yeah. For sure. And we see that in other channels too. They get so excited. They'll post a few videos and see that they're doing well. And then we've seen some channels, you know, commit to like, I'm going to post every day now. And, and whenever we see that, we're like, you're going to burn out, slow down, <laughs> slow you down. Know, it's too it's much. It's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Basically we, we transitioned, I guess at some point we, uh, started getting just enough views uh, that we thought like maybe it's it's time now to make a decision uh, do we do we quit our our jobs that that we have right now and switch onto our business and or just kind of keep trying to do both at the same time until our business becomes uh, starts working uh, so we decided to quit before we knew if it was going to work or not but I think we had to do it at that time because we were able to shift and all of a sudden spend all our energy on that project. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was sort of funny. My boss was very open, but we earned three, the first month that we monetized our YouTube channel, we earned $300. And that's the month when we said, you know, there's potential here if we can just put a little more time into this, but that would involve quitting our job. So I told my boss, you know, I'm quitting to do this. And she sat down with me and was like, are you sure? $300 is not it's enough, not to, enough live to live on. And we said, yeah, you know, we're going to go for it. And uh, we had a couple months of income saved up so that, you know, just in case it didn't quite work out as yeah. quickly as we yeah, thought. Yeah, we had a little bit of money saved up to, to, so that we could work on this project for, for a while without needing to, to make enough money to live. But it wasn't much. Like looking back, I think it was a pretty big jump. It was a it was a risk, definitely a bit of a risk. Yeah, but it worked out. A bit of a leap of faith and a a, a bet on yourselves mm -hmm. and and your future, and your the the income is. Are you relying solely on uh, ads on YouTube, or do you have other other products or things that you sell? Um, we rely, I would say probably 80 to 85% of our revenue right now is, uh, from YouTube ads. We also do between five to eight sponsored videos a year. We try not to do too many because they're a lot more work and we also don't want to overload our audience. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really just to supplement that income. We used to do Patreon, 
Um, but as the channel grew, we just felt like I think that's a really important platform for new creators. Um, but we just didn't feel like we needed it anymore. It was it sort of helped us bridge a certain period of time, um, and then we didn't need it anymore. So we preferred to let people contribute to smaller up and coming channels. Mm -hmm. And we also had an ebook at one time that we wrote about living in a van and we sold that for about three years, but a lot of the links were kind of outdated. So we sort of just took that down. And yeah, mm -hmm. now we rely almost exclusively on YouTube, which I mean, it's sort of stressful sometimes knowing that all of your eggs are in this one basket um, because YouTube can be unpredictable. The algorithm does change. There's competition out there. Like there's no guarantee that every video you put up is gonna get views. But what we have noticed um, when we go through periods, because it does happen, you know, just this year we had a couple of months where our videos weren't getting as many views as they used to. But what we've noticed, because we've been doing it for so many years, we have this library of almost 300 videos. And so just having that many videos sort of working in the background, they don't need to be going viral. They don't need to be getting tons of views, but it helps stabilize. It helps, yeah, it helps when we get those dips for, mm -hmm. like sometimes we have like a few months where, you know. In case the new video isn't doing yeah. well yeah exactly yeah and that's really nice because that also allows us to post videos that we don't necessarily think are going to perform well but that we still think are important mm -hmm. um you know there's certain videos about green building techniques they're not going to go viral but i think it's really interesting to share that information yeah um so that gives us more freedom to you know share content that's really meaningful and not just focus on what's going to make money or get views so i really yeah. like that and and that's that's one of the benefits of being a small independent media company, which which you are, you're you're a media entity, but you don't have bosses running the numbers and and plugging things into the spreadsheet saying you can't do that green building video. You have to do whatever was the hit before with the clickbait headline and all that. There are, I imagine, hundreds of thousands of people out there who want to be full-time YouTubers or podcasters or or whatever. At this point, do you now feel like blissful? Is this is this an amazing job that you've built for yourself? Is there anything that you would change about it? Is it not all that it's cracked up to be? And and I guess I'm I'm asking maybe aside from the lifestyle part, you know, um, because, because there are a lot of people who are living that lifestyle who aren't necessarily going to be working online full-time, but just thinking about the full-time online work, you probably didn't know six years ago that you would be doing this six years from now and that it would be your full-time job. So is there anything that you would change about it? What, what are the good parts about it? What are the, the not so good parts about it? I would, I would say for me, the good parts about it is meeting the people like we've met so many people in the, these past years and uh, that's just been really amazing. Everyone's been super nice, super inspiring. And um, and then putting together the videos and the stories is, is really enjoyable. Like I mentioned earlier, it's, the, you know, it's uh, it's like a little work of art, you know, each and every one of them. That's, a, that's a, how I like to think of them when I'm working on them. Um, but for the challenges, I don't know if you want to take this one. I thought of a really good analogy this morning. So I feel like having our own YouTube channel and being able to work online and be our own bosses is maybe what I imagine having children might be like. So you can't imagine not having them in your life, but there are so much work. <laughs> More than maybe you could imagine when you started. And I feel like having your own business and being YouTubers is 
pretty much exactly the same. Well, I mean, no, not the same. Our channel isn't waking us up in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah, it doesn't wake us up. I mean, almost. We, but... you, you do end up, when you have your own business, you do end up thinking of it. Like, I think of it seven days a week, all day, pretty much. And yeah. I pretty much work on it seven days a week. Sometimes mm -hmm. we'll take a full day off every once in a while. We're, we're like, yes, we took a full day off. Mm -hmm. um, but we're working on it all the time. And mm -hmm. it's, it's when, uh, when you're working for someone else, you punch out, you know, at five o'clock and then you can kind of forget about it a bit more. So it's, it does take a lot more mental space, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know. Yeah. And that's why we were talking about this yesterday. It's important to choose a business or a topic that you're really passionate about. If you're going to start a business or a channel, because you're going to be putting in a lot of time and mm -hmm. so you have to really love what you do. Um, yeah, you have to care about it. Mm -hmm. Or else there's there's no way you can sustain working on it and thinking about it seven days a week yeah. for for years and years. Mm -hmm. And and for people who are trying to grow a channel or some sort of media, some sort of audience, in addition to loving the thing that you're doing or at least caring about it, what other key components have been part of your success that, that you would recommend other people adhere to? I feel like a huge part of our success, because we're not necessarily the most, you know, uh, engaging presenters on, on YouTube, or we're not necessarily the most exciting channel. But I think what we've tried to do is really focus on all the little details and they all add up. So whether you're doing a YouTube channel or anything else, um, like for us, we really focused on, you know, making sure the titles are are good and interesting and have some keywords, making sure we take the time to put the tags in and write a description, making sure to always share it on our social media. Um, mm -hmm. You know, same thing with making sure when you upload photos to your blog posts, make sure you've got, you know, a caption or the alt text or whatever it is um, included. It's all these little details that add up so that people can find you and people can follow you and things like that. So um, making sure the audio is good. I feel like that's one place where we really excel. We're not necessarily the best at what we do, but we're very detail-oriented and we try to be as consistent as possible. Um, so those aren't necessarily the most exciting things to focus on, hmm. um, but we've found that over time that seems to help. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and uh, another thing that also helps, obviously, is the just consist like consistent uh, hard work and. Mm -hmm. uh, being uh you know what's the word i'm looking for matt's french so he's often looking for his english yeah word. sometimes i'm looking for the english <laughs> word uh, disciplined yeah just the discipline the, the discipline and cons consistent work and um you know just uh it's easy when you have your own business to to put in some work and then if it starts working well you know take take some time off and uh and just kind of sit on those uh on your, you know, on something that's working well, but right, you know, you kind of have to, to keep, keep your working foot on, on the gas. It. Yeah, keep your foot on the gas. Keep, keep showing up, even if you have questions about where it's going or whether or not the last video that you put out was good or not. Forcing yourself to show up and publish the next one, create the next one, even if what you've done so far might not be perfect, or you're feeling doubts about it. Right? We all mm -hmm. we all have doubts and dips and. I've seen countless creators stop when they encounter those doubts thinking, 
I just need, you know, a few weeks to, to get my head around this. And then they never show up again. They just, they, they don't intend for that to be the end, but sometimes when that momentum stops, it's impossible to get started again. For sure. Yeah. And I was listening to the podcast that you did with Jen from Clear Life um, a couple of days ago. And one thing that really stood out to me about what you were talking about and what you often hear in the physical community is also that um, self-doubt, imposter syndrome uh, are huge things that people feel. And we didn't really know about that. We've always just been the two of us and we hadn't really you know, been part of a larger community of creators when we started. And that's actually been one of the biggest challenges is self-doubt and feeling like, who am I to be doing this? Am I doing the right thing? Um, and I think those are really normal things to go through um, and they shouldn't stop you. Maybe you should listen to them sometimes, you know, if the same concerns keep coming up, like, is is my video good enough? Maybe think like, well, what is it specifically that you're worried about? And, mm. and maybe that can actually help you improve if you listen to your inner critic and, uh, and take action on things like that. But yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest issues that we have, I guess, would be self-doubt. And, mm -hmm. uh, as, as I think most creators do. And if you don't, that might be a warning sign as well. If you have no self-doubt, <laughs> it might be a warning sign. Um, well, thank you so much for the time today. I, I think the, the thing that has impressed me aside from your discipline, uh, and, and just your genuine interest and care on this topic is also your storytelling ability and your creative eye is, is really impressive and people are going to get a kick out of watching the videos. You might turn some people on just, you know, I feel like your channel is one of those things where if somebody is in the right place in life, they might just go off on a complete tangent after uh -huh. discovering your channel. Uh, they might find themselves down a rabbit hole or they might find themselves living in a van at some point or an <laughs> alternative space of some kind. So Danielle, Matt, thank you so much. Is the YouTube channel the best place for people to find you? It is. Yeah. Exploring alternatives. Just head over to YouTube and type in Exploring Alternatives. You can also tune in to the Fizzle Show episode featuring Jen that we were talking about that'll be in the show notes. Again, Matt, Danielle, Exploring Alternatives, thank you so much. We appreciate you being here. Thanks so much, Corbett. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah, thanks for having us. As always, this has been The Fizzle Show. I'm Corbett Barr. You can find the show notes and everything else over at fizzleshow.co. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Fizzle Show. Thank you.